Hello, and welcome to the Pet Coke podcast. In this series, we'll be speaking with key industry participants to gain their insight into the latest trends for petroleum coke markets around the world. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the outlook for the five years going forward. Um, I have my colleague Hayden Atkins with me today. He is the consultant for Petroleum Coke, and I am Lauren Masterson, Petroleum Coke editor. The Pet Coke podcast is brought to you by Argus Media, a leading independent provider of energy and commodity pricing information. So thanks, Hayden, for joining me today. You've recently produced a multi-client report on the five-year outlook for the pet coke market, and my team and I have been getting a lot of questions about this and what it covers. So I thought we could sit down today and talk a little bit about what you're seeing over the next five years and give people kind of a preview of what might be in that report. So let's start with the more near term, because it's been a pretty wild year. And I think a lot of people are really wondering just what's going to happen with this price rally, how long that can last. For what it's worth, we've seen um, the U.S. Gulf prices kind of stabilizing at, at record levels right now over the last three weeks or so. And so what is your outlook for when we will start seeing the U.S. Gulf high sulfur fuel grade prices start to cool off? Yeah. First of all, thanks, Lauren, for having me on the podcast. I, I think, you know, when we talk about the the short-term outlook, probably for the last six months, we've kind of thought a peak for high sulfur pet coke prices was around the corner. And then every week, it just keeps going up and up and up and up and up. So I think in terms of, you know, when prices will actually reach their ultimate peak, we'll, we'll probably only know, you know, really in hindsight. Um, I, I think, you know, looking at the, the balance of risks, over the remainder of this year, you know, a lot of prices are getting pretty volatile at, at really high levels. Um, so we've seen coal, you know, really a, a parabolic rise in the last couple of months um, in European prices in particular. We've seen, you know, European natural gas prices, you know, skyrocket and now, you know, starting to bounce around it at really high levels. Um, so to the degree that that some of these, you know, very elevated levels could see somewhat of a of a pullback, you know, in the next months or so is, is not kind of out of the question. But I think, you know, the bigger question beyond the very short term is, you know, what will the winter look like for a, a lot of solid fuels? And for the most part, you know, markets look, you know, kind of short. So, you know, European natural gas inventory is very low. There's a lot of concern about potential Russian supply. Within China, coal prices are very high right now. There's some things changing there, but there's, you know, still winter restocking risks. Um, so that'll probably, you know, help keep prices elevated. Maybe not as high as they are right now, but, you know, certainly a lot higher than what we thought, you know, a couple of months ago. And this has sort of really transformed the risks for, for pet coke pricing. So, Whereas a few months ago, you know, Pet Coke was very uncompetitive into a lot of key markets, um, and we kind of thought that improving supply would sort of recalibrate rel relative prices to generate a bit of demand. You know, we don't actually really need to do that now. You know, the the strength in coal prices is, you know, enticing you know some market participants back, and you know the market looks a lot more balanced. So I think you know for for the winter months, you know, we may not be at the price levels that we are right now, but but certainly things are looking a lot stronger than what they were just a, a couple of months ago. So we can expect, you know, prices, I think, to remain, you know, at high levels, you know, at least until the end of the year, until, you know, we get a better sense of the of the, the risks throughout winter, which forecasting the weather can be a tricky game. But, you know, that that's, I think, kind of the key thing once we get into that kind of January period. Okay, so specifically on China and India demand, I think that 
at least on the India side, that's where we've seen a lot of demand destruction over the last year, but it's been balanced by a lot of Chinese demand. So we're starting now over the last couple of months to see Chinese demand tapering off pretty much because of that super high freight costs, I think is the biggest factor there. But India may be starting to re-enter the market. So I'm curious what you think specifically on those two markets. What is your outlook for next few months? So I think, you know, when, when we look at India, there's this kind of pretty clear relationship between, you know, what price, relative price discounts for Coke versus coal look like, um, you know, sort of six months in advance of, of when we see, you know, imports, you know, starting to rise or fall in India. So, you know, imports right now are extremely low, you know, almost zero in terms of fuel grade imports. And that's really just a product of the non-existent discount for pet coke that we saw three to six months ago. And now at a point where there is some discount, it's it's still, you know, not particularly wide. It's in terms of the history before the last 12 months, it's it's actually pretty narrow. So, you know, we might see some additional demand generated from from India, you know, maybe particularly absorbing some of the, the Saudi coke that sort of has had a bit more trouble finding a home more recently and maybe less so for, for US Gulf Coast um, coke at the moment. Um, but, you know, like you pointed out, the, the market didn't need Indian demand this year, you know, partly because of supply destruction. And, you know, we've still got lower supply for the most part, um, you know, coming over the next six months or so. And we've got increased demand from, you know, the Mediterranean and, and kind of European area. So we probably don't actually need a huge amount of Indian demand for the market to remain balanced over the next six months. Um, as far as, you know, China goes, the, the risks are starting to look a bit more different um, for the second half of the year as far as the kind of top-down view goes and, you know, what that could potentially mean for, you know, arbitrages versus coal as well. So, you know, coal prices are still very, very high within China. Um, weather has been a big contributor to that, both in terms of very high temperatures and, you know, poor hydro generation. Um, there is a growing risk of a actual industrial slowdown. So things like construction has been very weak. Steel output is starting to fall. Yeah, the iron ore price has fallen 10% today. So, you know, there's there's things changing within China that sort of gives you pause for to think how strong will things actually be in Q4, you know, sort of outside of, of you know, things like the weather um, and in terms of that in underlying industrial activity. We, we may get to a situation where, you know, Chinese demand is, is sort of a bit soft right now, but kind of more importantly in terms of driving you know, very high coal prices, you know, that may, may start to change, you know, as well, sort of coming into sort of that October, November period, when we get a bit of a better understanding about how their winter restocking is going. So um, I think that's probably more the bigger risk as, as far as China is going, that these kind of nascent signs of economic slowdown become, you know, something more serious over the next couple of months. So we've seen a lot more Basin segregation in the last few months with freight rates at record highs. So U.S. Gulf Coke is going more to Latin America, less to India, more to Europe and the Mediterranean. And we've even seen some moves like U.S. West Coast Coke going to Latin America or Colombian Coke going to the U.S. So do you think this is a trend that's going to continue or is it something that we're kind of just seeing right now and a temporary move? Yeah, I don't think it's kind of like a permanent change in the market. It's really a product of you know, the extreme tightness that we have seen in terms of, you know, strong cement output 
in this part of the of the world, in particular the Americas region, and you know just the the lack of supply that that has come out of of cocas for the most part this year as well. So things have improved kind of much more recently, but you know we're, we're still sort of playing catch up to filling orders that were made you know th- three months ago or so. So I, I think that's just more of a, a market adjustment to you know both very weak supply or less than expected and very high freight rates so are those two things going to kind of continue indefinitely you know maybe it's kind of not our expectation that they will and we we kind of expect a broader adjustment you know in, in terms of the market going back to a bit more the way that it was say in 2019 in terms of trade flows you know we we sort of don't see a future for pet coke with India at zero imports, you know, kind of forever. You know, there's going to be a point at which they're going to have to, you know, come back to the market and absorb some supply, um, be it because there's there's more coming out of the US or you know demand is starting to falter in places like China. So probably more a bit more of a temporary phenomenon, we would say, rather than you know something that's uh, going to be a permanent feature going forward. Cement makers reported in the second quarter that they're pet coke prices were there were specifically higher um, and energy costs were a lot higher. Um, but cement demand was up so much that most of them still reported really high earnings for that quarter and are planning expansions. So what is your outlook for cement demand overall? And what are the key countries where cement growth will lead pet coke demand? Yeah, so for the most part, it still looks like cement demand growth is pretty good in the sort of key markets where, you know, it's most important to pet coke. So, you know, India has been a little bit up and down, you know, certainly very heavily affected by the the Delta variant wave through April and May, but more generally, you know, economically speaking, things have sort of bounced back in the in the last month or so. But I think, you know, more critically is, you know, kind of like Latin America and to some degree Turkey as well, where uh, cement demand still appears to be pretty solid. Um, there, there, there'll probably be like some slowdown in the rates of growth. So, you know, we're, we're going to start lapping, you know, very strong growth that was seen at the end of 2020. So rather than growing, you know, 15, 20%, you know, maybe we, we slow down to sort of mid to, to high single digits, you know, just because it gets harder to, to keep growing at such a rapid pace. Um, but it doesn't really seem like there's a structural headwind coming to, uh, knock, you know, the, the current underlying momentum, you know, off course. So to, to some degree, that you know, that'll continue to support, you know, solid pet coke demand in kind of the core countries. So Brazil and Mexico in particular have been sort of the, the linchpin of, of supporting, you know, high high sulfur pet coke prices for, for much of this year. And, you know, now that the, uh, the price relativities make sense for Turkey and, you know, the cement production is still pretty good there too. So, you know, that's kind of the, I guess, the next leg of, of, of supporting, supporting demand. So, yeah, we don't, we don't sort of envisage any rapid slowdown, but certainly a slowdown in growth rates sort of seems likely just because it's, they've been so strong for the, the last, you know, 12 months or so. What about a move away from solid fuel? for cement makers. So this has been a trend for a while going towards different alternative fuels, waste fuels, things like that, biomass. Um, But all the multinationals pretty much seem pretty focused on this. And Semex even announced it will be launching its own uh, ETS emissions trading system. Um, And the EU has now introduced their carbon border adjustment. So do you think that some of these things will affect the accelerate that transition to alternative fuels? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it does It does seem likely. It has become a much bigger talking point. It's become a much bigger focus for shareholders. Um, reducing carbon footprint is sort of probably, um, apart from, you know, sort of growing returns, the, the sort of key investment thesis for, for just about everyone, um, you know, at the moment. Um, I think the rate of adoption of alternative fuels will probably be slower though than the speed at which cement demand will grow in a lot of these countries. So yes, we will have more alternative fuels in the in the mix and pet coke and you know other fossil fuels will lose market share. Uh, but the but the share the you know the pie will be getting bigger at a, at a faster pace. This seems to be you know pretty pretty likely at this point. So you know if we have a two to three percent creep of alternative fuels into the mix. Um, and we have cement demand growing at, you know, seven, eight percent. We still need more pet coke, you know, in the in the short term. So so yeah, the speed of adoption, you know, could could increase a, a bit faster, but there seems to be, you know, potentially technical limits to 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 how quickly you can actually, you know, move some of these alternative fuels into the mix as well. Um, and you know, things like switching to gas, you know, or just lower carbon fuels doesn't sort of seem to be a a long-term sustainable solution. So, yeah, certainly something that you know potentially chips away a little bit at at um, pet coke demand or potential pet coke demand growth. But in a lot of key countries, it does seem like the rate of growth in demand for cement will be faster. So probably more demand for pet coke as a result. What do you see as the long-term impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic on both production and demand? Yeah, I guess this is the the really big question where we could go on for... (laughs) For, for weeks and weeks of discussion and and still probably not really know what the what what the answer is um so i, I think you know there's there's maybe a, a couple of you know obvious ones in terms of refineries that have been shut so in general there's there will be lower supply than there was before um given the refinery closures that have already happened and the ones that are slated to happen in in a couple of year time um, whether there's kind of more to come in terms of, you know, the damage from from COVID-19 is, you know, maybe an, an open question. It's potentially going to be more driven by, you know, kind of other factors as, you know, as far as the US goes, renewable fuel standards is kind of one that is putting pressure on, on, on a lot of different refineries and conversion to biofuels, you know, sort of seems to be uh, topic du jour. So, you know, that that is not a direct result of, of COVID-19, but, you know, something that's kind of amplifying the pressure um, on refineries in in uh, the US in particular. Um, you know, we haven't really seen, um, we've certainly seen idlings of, of refineries elsewhere in, in Europe um, and lower utilisation rates, you know, just about everywhere, um, but but not so much closures of, of um you know, very integrated refinery. So, you know, potential pet coke output from that perspective, you know, sort of hasn't changed dramatically outside of the of the US, would would kind of say at this stage. Um, I think from a supply point of view, you know, maybe the more interesting changes is you know, kind of around um, some of the potential long-term impacts to sort of US crude supply or or feedstocks to refineries. So if there has been this kind of permanent shift in, you know, oil majors 
producing uh, tide oil or, you know, what some other countries are going to do and big multinationals in terms of crude supply, you know, one, because of COVID-19 and two, because of shareholder pressure. Um, you know, the crude landscape in terms of types of quality and, and supply, you know, could be sort of permanently changed, um, which, you know, has had an impact already on the type of pet coke being produced in the US Gulf. And, you know, that shift, you know, could potentially last a, a bit longer than, you know, just what we've seen over the last 12, 18 months or so. Um, so I think, yeah, there's a there's sort of a, a clear impact in the short term in terms of supply, but, you know, potentially sort of important long-term things to think about. From a demand perspective, it's, I don't think that the impacts are, you know, sort of permanent. So the degree to which, you know, cement demand is is strong now means that it'll probably be a bit slower at some point in the future. You know, it's not immediately, but, you know, the underlying demand for cement is, is you know, not really going to be driven by a pandemic in the in the long run to the degree that utilities are, are still consuming it. It's more driven by regulation than you know, sort of the, the pandemic response. So maybe some things have changed from that perspective. But I don't think there's sort of been this underlying change in the in the demand profile as a direct result of, of, of COVID-19. I think it's more about the supply. So kind of on the flip side of that, Russia seems to be the only place where supply is really expected to expand in the near term. What will Russia's role be in the market over the next five years? Say? Yeah, so certainly a lot bigger given it's going to be, you know, mostly exported. Um, so there's no real appetite for, for domestic consumption, um, you know, be it maybe a little bit more for, for anode grade. They've got some smelter capacity coming online, but for the most part, you know, it will be moved into international markets. It doesn't really make sense to go into cement um, kilns or, you know, kind of elsewhere at, at the moment. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be kind of a growing footprint in terms of, of international trade and, and you know, really kind of moving into different markets given the, the sort of varying specs. So, you know, it's kind of ranging from, you know, sort of fairly low sulfur anode grade pet coke to, you know, kind of marginal between fuel and anode grade pet cokes at sort of mid sulfur ranges. So, to some degree, it, it certainly alleviates some of the maybe long-term pressure on, you know, where is anode grade GPC going to come come from in the in the longer run. Um, it'll probably be used much more in, in blends going forward and, you know, the market will adapt and, you know, work out how to do that as, you know, things things change and, you know, other markets become kind of more difficult to, to source supply. Um, but it, it's also probably going to push sort of more further afield into, into different markets. So, you know, the obvious you know, local places of, you know, kind of Turkey or, or Europe in terms of, you know, exports from uh, Baltic ports or Black Sea, um, you know, kind of have their have their own challenges. So, um, you know, maybe pushing as far as it feels as Latin America, you know, maybe balancing, you know, some some of the, the sulfur constraints for, for some consumers. So, um, yeah, I guess it will not only be a greater volume, but sort of spreading far and wide sort of seems to be, you know, likely as well. What about China's role on the anode grade side? It's been a net exporter for some years, but now it's taking on more of an importer role. Do you think this is temporary or is this going to be the case going forward? Yeah, it seems to be pretty permanent. It probably when it's not sort of something that, that's going to go away, you know, kind of next year. 
um, the, the the sort of balance between the pace of expansion of smelting and the speed at which petco output is growing has you know kind of permanently shifted it seems like so to the degree that they're going to be importing you know more uh, and a great gpc you know makes sense they haven't really sort of radically changed the sort of cpc um trade balance profile and they have been exporting more anodes as well so to some degree their role within international carbon trade for aluminium smelters is you know shifting more up the value add curve um you know as opposed to to just the the anograde gpc perspective but i i think it you know really shifts the dynamics of pricing so um because it's becoming a much more important importer you know relative to a large domestic market where you know there's probably a bit more price transparency um you know probably more spot trading as well um you know it does i guess change the way you know the market will work you know probably permanently going forward in terms of pricing points and liquidity as well so yeah something that we see as really a, a permanent shift and you know there are you know pressures on domestic petco supply that you know some in the near term some you know maybe longer term challenges as well that you know will probably continue to boost their their imports of anagrade gpc okay thanks for that so lastly just to wrap up is going to be another really broad question but what are your longer term views for the anagrade market yeah i think the the anagrade market you know to some degree has been shifted by this you know pretty radical change in the longer term outlook for aluminium smelting in general so you know we've kind of gone through a period of maybe 10 years where ex-china smelters were just continuously under pressure you know constant um pressure for capacity reduction um which you know primarily driven by overcapacity within china and and you know a lot of exports so you know we saw a lot of tariffs and trade action you know nothing kind of really changed it and then you know now over the last 12 18 months you know the the whole paradigm has been really turned on its head so now we're kind of looking at you know a longer term for the aluminium industry that is kind of really positive from a smelting perspective you know prices are expected to remain pretty high you know china has turned to a really substantial uh, importer of 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 primary metal and there's not an expectation that's going to you know really dramatically change anytime soon so you know we may have ups and downs due to you know changes in the cycle and weaker industrial output or you know things like weaker auto manufacturing is kind of a, a becoming a bigger deal right now so you know these sorts of things may sort of weigh on aluminium prices in the near term but i don't think anyone is going to be shifting their longer term view of 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 aluminium pricing you know which was pretty weak 12 months ago to now looking actually pretty positive so so we don't have this kind of erosion of 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 smelting output that perhaps we would have ex- expected yeah, certainly in this multi-client last year, when the when the uh, you know COVID crisis first began, it was sort of all looking pretty ugly in terms of a you know a big surplus of metal and smelter closures and weak pricing. So from that perspective, it now actually looks you know kind of pretty positive. Um, I think you know there's always this perpetual concern that that there isn't any supply of anode grade GPC, and you know it's imminently going to to totally run out 
Um, I think, you know, the market is pretty adept at finding a way of either incorporating different Cokes when, you know, prices are really high or, you know, bringing it to market where it's needed. And, you know, we are starting to see, you know, great attraction in terms of of, of higher Brazilian exports in particular. So sort of a, a long-term plan to expand logistics there is, you know, starting to to pay off in terms of, you know, seeing seeing higher exports. And it's actually affected prices, which is, you know, in a, in a market where everything is, is going up a lot, <laughs> you know, the fact that low sulfur prices were actually a bit weaker in the last couple of months was was kind of a bit of a, a surprise and, you know, really driven by supply. So supply actually, you know, still kinds of matters. So um, to the extent that, you know, that that process will continue and, you know, we probably have some more incremental supply from uh, from from Russia, um, you know, some more of this anhydrogenous uh, pellets from, from rain, you know, sort of displacing some need for, for anograde pet coke as well. Um, you know, these are all things that, you know, we still expect prices to be high, but we don't expect there to be, you know, kind of a problem. And then, the you know, the bigger long-term question is, you know, really around inert anodes. You know, will they perform as sort of currently being marketed? How quickly can it be rolled out? Where will it make sense to to uh, implement it? It's still all very open questions. And, you know, we have a in our multi-client kind of a five-year view, and it's probably well beyond five years, I think, where where that'll actually start to happen in a you know really big way in terms of of, of affecting the use of of, of Petco. Um, but even you know just looking beyond you know will the technology work? You know will it make sense? Will there be this kind of green premium for near zero carbon aluminium? We don't actually really know yet. Um, there's a lot of marketing, but there's you know the 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 actual pricing is still not that clear. How easily will it be to retrofit? A smelter. How long will it take? You know, how many can they do in a year? These are all questions we don't actually really know yet. So I think you know the safe assumption is you know, e- assuming that it does work on the timelines that that um, you know are being presented by by companies at at the moment, it'll probably actually take you know quite some time to roll out. Um, you know, in a in a in a significant way. So maybe maybe a, a, a bigger issue when thinking about the the outlook to twenty. 36 rather than 2026, I think, at this stage. Okay, well, thanks for that. And I think there's probably a lot more uh, interesting topics in the multi-client that we can uh, wade through. And if anybody is interested in learning more about that, they can contact Hayden directly. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to tune in for the other episodes in our series, The Pet Coke Podcast. For more information on Argus Petroleum Coke coverage, please visit argusmedia.com slash petcoke.